Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. For the month of October, we've been focusing on prayer. And uh, so this week will be the same. I did have to just mention quickly, and I got to watch my time. Um, but, you know, last, does anybody remember what my, kind of my main thing was last week? It was like, focus on things you don't see and not on things you do see. Well, because I had to preach this week, I woke up this morning, I was like, Lord, I don't know if this is your sense of humor or what, but I had to walk past that whole entire list this week so I could work on my sermon. And uh, I was like, I guess this is not going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, but thankfully, uh, he was with me, and uh, I trust that the message this morning will be a, a blessing to you. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this place and that you would speak to these people through your word. And Lord, I just pray that I won't get in the way but that your word will speak clearly to all of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the titles may be a little fancier than the sermon will be, but it's consistent, persistent, and expectant, developing a better prayer life. And that's my goal for this whole series is that, and I think all the elders would agree with me, that our desire is that we will all build a better prayer life and uh, draw closer to the Lord through these times. So um, let's see if this is going to work any better than last week worked. There we go. Uh, And so while I was uh, thinking about this sermon this week and just contemplating all of our messages, uh, something that dawned on me was there's kind of three different, I wasn't sure if ways was the right word, but it was the best I could come up with. But there's kind of three different categories here of things that we do for prayer. One is daily just talking to God, uh, kind of like I referred to Reba last week on the couch, just saying, Jesus, I need the water going. Um, just all day long as we uh, come up against things, that we talk to God, that we tell him, oh, Lord, that what he, what he said to me there really hurt. Please, Lord, help me not to be angry or upset or whatever it might be. Help me, I need, I need, I've got to have this done today and I don't know what to do. But just daily communion with God, personal conversation, just as if you were talking to a friend. Uh, Omer and I were talking at the uh, Fall Fellowship last Sunday evening. And uh, out of that, in my mind came, you know, he and I are standing there talking, we're having a conversation and sometimes we might be on a work project together, whatever, but we're still talking to each other. And so sometimes we think, the things we do in life, uh, you know, I, we got to go put the swing set up there for the playground so the children have a swing. We can still be communing with God while we're working, and uh, we don't have to totally put God over here. Oh, hang on, God, I got to go over here and do this project. I'll be back in a minute. So that's kind of what that is, daily communion with God. The second kind of prayer is a, what I call cons- consistent prayer closet time a time that you set aside on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, hopefully it's not monthly, but um, you know, on a regular basis where you get alone with God 
and you lay out your heart before him, you talk to him, you just stand and sit in his presence, kneel in his presence, maybe have the word there, and just you talk to him and let him talk to you. Um, consistent prayer closet time. And then times of fasting and prayer where we give up something that is important to us, something that uh, we want to do. We give up that thing for a certain period of time to pursue God at a deeper level or intercede for someone else, someone else or yourself uh, or something. Um, but just time to do that. And so when I say three ways we pray, that's kind of what I'm talking about. There's the daily stuff all day long, all night long, whatever it is, the, the times that we set aside to be in God's presence, and then there's times when we give up things that we would normally do uh, to spend that time in prayer. And so today, I want to just take a look at a couple of examples from Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at these first two because for time's sake, I couldn't squeeze them all, all three of them in. Um, but we're going to look at uh, a couple people here and then a couple things that Jesus told us. So first off is David, and this is just a couple of things that I thought were interesting as I was looking at this. Uh, David is believed to have written the majority of the Psalms. And uh, by the way, I saw in the bulletin, Mike's going to do Psalms of Thanksgiving for November. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, today we're going to actually look at a few Psalms uh, of prayer, more of bird's eye view than in depth. But uh, So David wrote most of the Psalms. At the age of 30, he became king. And if you read through the Old Testament, it seems like he was a lot older than that by the time he got there because there's a lot of stuff in there. But uh, he was 30 when he started as king of Judah. And then at 37, Israel and Judah came together and he got the whole thing. And then uh, this one I hadn't really noticed before. But um, it says in Scripture, and I don't see that I wrote the, the reference down, um, but um, it says that as David is giving instructions, I think it was to Solomon um, about the temple because he had been planning, you know, I don't know if you know, but in, David wanted to build the temple and God said, no, you've got too much blood on your hands, can't do it. Um, your son Solomon will do that. But um, David was, had such a heart for that, he was gathering all the materials, he was getting everything ready. Well, in his instru instructions, he said, um, you need 4,000 people to praise the Lord with the instruments I have made. Think about that for a second. I mean, we have one, two, three, four, five, and I get complaints it's too loud. What If we had 4,000, what would we have? Imagine that. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I just think it's, of course, there's going to be a lot more people uh, in heaven when we do it, and there'll be lots of stuff. But in the tabernacle where David was, he was planning for 4,000 people, and that was their job, to play those instruments. And there was a bunch of singers, too. Anyway, that's for another day. But those are just some interesting things that I found about David. And so um, before I get into uh, the actual psalms that I want to look at, um, I found this quote in Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible, and I thought it was very interesting. I'm going to put on my glasses so I can actually read it. We have now before us one of the choicest and most excellent parts 
of all the Old Testament. Nay, so much is there in it of Christ and his gospel, as well as of God and his law, that it has been called the abstract or summary of both Testaments. And then a little further in it says, this book brings us into the sanctuary, draws us off from converse with men, with the politicians, the philosophers, or disputers of this world, and directs us into communion with God. And that should be a goal of all of ours, to be in communion with God. And so what Matthew Henry is saying here is, these psalms that we have in our scriptures brings us into that sanctuary. And uh, I think going on here by solacing and reposing our souls in him, lifting up and letting it and letting out our hearts toward him, which you will see in the Psalms, David pours out his heart. Thus we may be in mount with God, and we understand not our interests if we say not, it is good to be here. I know that's old English, older English. Um, essentially what he's saying is, we don't know what our best interest is if we don't understand that that is a good place to be. If we're on the mountain with God, if we're in his sanctuary, if we are communing with him. And so that was uh, Matthew's, Matthew Henry's comment on the Psalms uh, that we have. And so this morning, I'm not going to read all these for time's sake, but I want us to look at something here and see the different topics of these Psalms. And I looked through the first 50 Psalms. I read through them, and these are the ones that uh, appear to be prayers. And some Bibles will say these are prayers, others do not. Um, but look at the topic. So in Psalm 3, he's fleeing from Absalom, and it says, a morning prayer of trust in God. So in the morning, he's praying, Lord, I put my trust in you. You're going to take care of me. Even though this guy's after me, uh, you're going to take care of me. Psalm 4 is titled, An Evening Prayer uh, of Trust in God. So in the morning and the evening, he's reminding himself in prayer to God of God's faithfulness and that he needs God to get him through these situations. Psalm 5, protection from the wicked is the prayer. Uh, Psalm 6, mercy in time of trouble. And so as you look through this list, Defending him against the wicked, overthrowing the wicked. Again, help in trouble. Protection against oppressors. Victory over the enemy. Protection, guidance, and pardon. Help and praise for answered prayer. And if you, as I said, there's so much in Scripture about David. Um, but if you go back and read through some of that, and you look at this list, you can see that it doesn't matter what the area of life was. He was praying about it. He was talking to God about it. And um, I think for myself, uh, one of the things that is becoming real to me is, I guess, you know, I've been in church my whole life. I missed the Sunday I was born, but um, I've been in church most of my life. And um, prayer has always kind of been, here's prayer and here's life. And I take time for this now and then, but here's life. And as I've been going through this, if I listen to Mike and Alan, um, I'm realizing that prayer should be life, that our life and our prayer should be combined, that we're always 
talking to God about what's going on, asking him for help, thanking him for helping us. And as you can see here, uh, David had prayers for victory over enemies. He had prayers asking him, asking God to help him against the enemy. And so every area of his life, he was pouring out his heart before God. And they were constantly in communion with each other. And so um, it's something that I thought was interesting and it was a good example to us of how we should be uh, living. So uh, as before I get to the end of David here, I wanted to just read through this Psalm, Psalm 86, and uh, just kind of notice some of the things that are in here as we go through this. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. Is that too small to read up there? Probably is, isn't it? Sorry. I came over yesterday, and I couldn't get it to even come up, so I couldn't tell it was so small, but I apologize for that. Um, and you, if you have your Bible, feel free to open it. Um, Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Almost sounds like he's apologizing because he's talking to God so much during the day. Have mercy on me, Lord. I call on you all day long. Uh, bring joy to your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Constantly lifting himself before the Lord and asking for help. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. How many of us call on the Lord in our trouble? Or do we call the lawyer or the doctor or the, you name it? Uh, David says here, when I'm in trouble, I called on God. I called to you. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No needs can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. O Lord, they will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I think when I talk about focusing more on the unseen than the seen, uh, I don't want my heart to be divided to where I'm after the worldly side of things and I'm only sort of after spiritual walk with the Lord. I want to be undivided. You know, uh, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will be taken care of. It will all be added unto you. And so I'm not saying we should be irresponsible and not plan, not take care of ourselves, not uh, do all these things. But in our hearts, those things are second to God and not in front of him, which makes those things an idol. Moving on. Um, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. 
For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save your son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So David calls on the Lord. He acknowledges that the Lord has helped him. And he's constantly talking to God, good, bad, and ugly, all of it. Uh, just as if he was talking to a close friend. And so for um, my first point of daily communion with God, David is a good example. I encourage you to read the Psalms, read even in, uh, I think it's Samuel, the books of Samuel and, and uh, Chronicles. Uh, there's lots in there about David. And I encourage you to read about his life and how he served the Lord. And he wasn't perfect, neither are we. But, he, but his, uh, he's, in Scripture it says David was a man after God's own heart. And so that's, that's where we want to be. So he had communion with God all through the day, and we need to do the same with our Heavenly Father. Moving on to number two, Daniel. Anybody know who Daniel is? Remember the story about the lion's den? Anybody know that? You guys know that? Adrian, you do? Um, so Daniel, boy, as I went through this, I'm like, this dude was amazing. I, I wish I could be like this guy. So my, my little points here, uh, at about 605 B.C. roughly, probably as maybe an 18-year-old, Daniel is taken into captivity. So when you read about Daniel, you don't really think teenager. You think, you know, this guy's... Um, in, in Ezekiel, something else I noticed that I had not noticed before, in Ezekiel 14, God refers to his righteousness three different times. He actually mentions Noah, Job, and Daniel, and that they're right. And he says, if everything was going to fall apart, these guys will stand because of their righteousness. Interesting verse. I, I'm sure I've read it. Never clicked before, but that was interesting. And then... Um, as you look at Daniel's life, it is obvious that he had a very close relationship with God. And obviously that is our hope here today, that we will be the same. So let's see here. I can catch up my notes to where I'm at. Um, let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 2. We're just going to read through this little scenario here and see what we can learn from it. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. In case you didn't catch that, to tell him what he dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king and I, in, Aramaic, in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it for you. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. 
if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret the dream, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Now, if your boss came up to you and said that, what would you think? Okay, I'd be a little concerned about that. All right, let's see what happens here. Uh, so the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. So they were kind of close, but not really quite on there, but they were close. And they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now I was thinking, that's really not fair, you know? I mean, he wasn't even there. They had to go look for him. But he's still getting ready to be, uh, you know, out with the rest of them. And so, uh, but this, this is the cool part. Look at what, what the uh, response here was. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Now, may I remind you again, we're talking teenager here, not seasoned veteran. He spoke with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh, harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel, and at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So here's where I'm going to make a little differentiation between consistently talking to God and being a little more persistent. This was an urgent thing. These guys were going to spend some time on their knees before God pleading for his mercy that he would show um, that he would show favor on them and tell them what the dream meant. So on down to verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me the wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Isn't that amazing? But they pushed in. They, he went and got his friends to join him. It wasn't him by himself. It was teamwork. So we all get together, we're going to pray for this, and we're going to ask God to help us. So, moving on. Kind of jumping stories here now. 
Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And I think I jumped ahead of myself, so I'm going to back up for a second here. So Daniel prayed and got the answer to what the dream was, and he interpreted it to the king. And the king gave glory to God for what Daniel did. Now we move on to chapter 6, which I just read from. And this is after Darius the Mede has taken over the kingdom. Uh, Darius put Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He appointed them uh, over the satraps, or satraps, however you say that word, which basically means a provincial governor. Um, but there was 120 governors over the entire land, and these guys were their boss, and they reported to the king. Okay? And so uh, the Bible says that, uh, preceding this verse 10 here where I just read, that Daniel distinguished himself so far above everybody else that the king was about to make him the chief guy over the entire kingdom. And that's what made the other guys mad, and that's why they made, went to the king and said, king, nobody should pray to anybody but you, right? So let's make that a rule. And then uh, when I read here in verse 10, Daniel learned the decree had been published, don't pray to anybody but the king. He went home. He didn't just go home and hide in his closet. He went home, upstairs room, opened the windows towards Jerusalem, and he got on his knees and he prayed just like he's been doing three times a day, probably forever and ever and ever. I mean, for most of his life. Because if you look at the results and the, if you read through Daniel's life, it is obvious he was talking to God on a regular basis and he knew God. And I believe, and I know this is a little disjointed, but hopefully you guys will, it'll come together. I believe that when he got the guys and they prayed about the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he already knew that when he talked to God, God answered him. And it's because of this, this that comes, it, we don't see it until here in chapter 6. But he's been on his knees three times a day, morning, noon, and night, talking to God. He's been an avid student of Scripture, and that's proven as you go on through the book of Daniel and you see uh, when it comes down toward the end, he says, he comes to God and he says, God, you said in your word that we would be captive for 70 years and that time is upon us. And Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm repenting for myself. I'm repenting for what we've done, how we've strayed from you. And now I'm asking you, God, to move and set us free from this. And it's a, it's a cool story if you go read it. I encourage you to do that. Um, so obviously Daniel was not only a man of prayer, but he was also an avid man of scripture. He knew the scriptures, he knew what they said. And I think for us here today, those are the two things that if we can get a hold of in our lives and become student of scripture and people of prayer, that we will see God do things that we never thought possible. And he will also do plain and simple things like help us get from here to there when we need that help and help us when we're up against something at work that we don't know what to do with. Um, 
And that's kind of the whole, really the point of my message today is that we will understand the value of learning to pray on a regular basis, be in communion with God, whether it's conversational during the day, whether it's our time that we set aside to pray, or whether we're fasting for a period of time. The outcome is the same. We draw closer to him, we know him, he knows us, and he becomes a part of our daily living. Okay, let me catch myself up here to where I am. So to recap, uh, which I kind of just did, um, he was a student of scripture, he was a man of prayer, and we would benefit from following Daniel in that. Okay, just a couple of uh, scripture passages, uh, and these are both uh, Jesus talking to us. Um, We're going to look at here quickly... uh, This one's called the unjust judge. Some people call it the persistent widow. I guess it's probably if you're kind of a person like me where the glass is half full or it's half empty, you know. Uh, But anyway, um, let's take a quick look at this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, and the reason for this parable was to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that's the reason for this parable. Always pray, don't give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And the point of that scripture is persistence. Don't be afraid. Sometimes I think, oh, Lord, I already asked you for this. I'm not, I, I shouldn't be asking you again. But that's not the way Jesus said Be persistent. Keep coming back and coming back and get your answer. And then one passage in Matthew, kind of the same theme. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think uh, for some of us theologically, this might pose some issues because we maybe said a prayer that we felt didn't get answered. But I'm not going to argue with this scripture because it was Jesus talking and he usually knew what he was talking about. No, he always knew what he was talking about. He says, if we ask, we receive. Now I'm going to say this and I got it written down here somewhere so I wouldn't say it wrong. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I don't see it. Anyway, I'm going to say this. We pray, God hears and answers our prayers. We don't always get the answer we expected but the answer that we do get 
is in our best interest because he's our heavenly father and what father would give his son a snake when he asked for a fish, okay? So um, I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to delve into. I'm going to give you the scripture, and I'm going to ask you to pray over it and consider it and let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Uh, But again, as I mentioned before, um, my goal here is that we would become more consistent, more persistent when needed, and that we would be expectant, that we would expect God to hear and answer our prayers. And like I said, the answer may not always be what we wanted or what we expected, but God does answer. Sometimes it takes longer, sometimes it's shorter. Uh, Abraham, you know, was promised a land, and he died before the Israelites got there. But God did answer that prayer. So I want to take a couple minutes here at the end, and um, I am going to just relate to you an experience that we had that I hope, uh, you know, sometimes we look at Scripture and it's like, well, they were holy men, you know, they were men of God. They... So I'm just going to give you um, an experience that we, that we experienced as a family and hope that it will encourage you to realize that, you know, I mean, I've been up here talking for 35 minutes. You know that I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. Um, but God still answered some prayers of ours, and so I just want to share that with you. So back in, uh, I don't know when it was, 1999-ish, I guess, um, we ended up uh, being called to Haiti to go as missionaries. And so we went through the process, got signed up, raising our funds, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we got to a point in uh, August of 1999 where I was talking to the guy at the office. I said, we need to go. I'm out of money. I don't have a job. Um, We need to get on to Haiti and and do what we need to do. And so uh, he said, well, we're going to need $7,000 for tickets for you guys to get there and, uh, you know, to take all your stuff and everything. And anyway, so some conversation happened. Uh, He called me back. He's like, I got your tickets. Uh, Well, he asked me when I wanted to go. I said, I got to go by this date. And so he called me back. He said, I got your tickets. $1,500, I got tickets. I'm like, wow, praise God. We got tickets for a lot less than we, because, you know, we we raised all the money that we needed to cover all this stuff. So So we get our tickets, and the day comes. And uh, so at this point in time, it's uh, Carrie and I, and... uh, Seven children, albeit Carissa was two months old. So Carissa was a baby. So um, we pack our belongings. Everything we're going to need is in suitcases and backpacks. And um, we're supposed to be at the airport tomorrow morning at 5.30 a.m., the Reagan National Airport. I get a phone call the afternoon before from, I think, the vice president of the mission. Um, I'm a little concerned you don't have enough money. Um, I don't think you should go. And I'm like, okay, now I am praying. I'm praying hard. Um, I said, well, the tickets are bought. I have enough money for three months, okay? So I'm supposed to go as a long-term missionary. I have three months' worth of money. I said, I have three months' worth of money and tickets. Can we go? And if at the end of three months I'm out of money, I'll come home. And he said, okay, if you're willing to come home, if you don't have money, you go. 
So the next morning we go to the airport, 5.30 in the morning, got all my kids, we're all lined up in the chair here behind the desk and Gary's kind of supervising. And I go to the desk and I give the lady our passports and our tickets and she looks at me and she says, you can't get on the plane. You can't go to Haiti unless you have round trip tickets and these are only one way. That's why they were cheap. <laughs> they were, they were one way tickets. Anyways, so I'm like, wait, uh, so we're here ready to get on the plane and you're telling me I can't get on the plane because I don't have round trip tickets? Nobody mentioned this before. Uh, anyway, so we're having quite a conversation. In the meantime, my wife starts praying. She's praying. So I'm like, well, the mission bought the tickets and they don't open till eight o'clock and the flight leaves here shortly. And we had a, we had a what do you call it? Uh, when you get on another plane in Miami. Uh, so uh, I, said, I finally said, can we please get on the plane? We'll go to Miami. Obviously, if we can't go with those tickets, uh, by then the office will be open. I can talk to the office. We can maybe do something about it. So she finally relented and said we could get on the plane. So she did all the stuff. So we get on the plane, and of course, Carrie and I are praying all the way to Miami. Lord, please help us. Please be with us. I don't know what we're going to do about this. Um, and so we get to Miami, and, uh, you know, I got seven children with me. So, you know, they brought us in to this terminal, and we fly out of the one clear on the other end of the airport, uh, just the way life is, I guess. But uh, so I have two suitcases and a backpack, oldest to youngest. Every child has a suitcase and a backpack, except for Carissa, who carries bringing. And I don't remember if she had a suitcase or not, but. Anyway, we were quite a sight going through the airport because we had to walk all the way through the entire thing. We get to the other side, got them set down, and I take my pile of passports and ticket things to the counter, just praying, Lord, please help me. And so I hand the lady my stack, and um, I said, you know, here's my stuff. And she looked at me, and she looked back behind me, and she said, are all those yours? I said, yeah. And of course, she wanted to know how old are they and all this and that. So when, so we start talking about all those are mine. And she just starts opening the passports and just starts stamping stuff and putting it over here. And she was so happy, she starts telling all her coworkers, all oh, them are his. They're all his and, and all about them. And by the time she got done being joyful, she handed me back my stuff and said, have a great flight. Never even did anything except put me on that plane. And um, of course, we were very thankful. And it was not an easy go. Um, but we were evacuated four and a half years later. And God provided the whole time. When we came back, after we were evacuated, my balance was zero. I owed nothing. I had nothing. But we landed with a zero balance. And God be praised for that. So um, just want to encourage you. Um, talk to the Lord. Present your needs. He has some amazing ways of blowing your mind if you let him. Let's pray.
If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.